Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 144 of The Raw Verdict, recapping the highs and lows from WWE's flagship show, Monday Night Raw. I am your host and humble guide, Keela Cash. Thank you so much for joining me as week 144 of WrestleTopia gets underway. Happy Tuesday morning, afternoon, and evening to you all as another busy week in the worlds of WWE and AEW gets underway. And last night was Monday Night Raw going down live from the Spectrum Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I thought this was probably the weakest episode of Monday Night Raw under the Triple H administration to date. And I thought last week was pretty dry as well. This one was a bit drier because the North Kakalaki crowd was dry, dry, dry. With very few exceptions, the crowd reactions were really muted. And the action in the ring did not give the people that much to be excited about. But it just really lessened my overall enthusiasm for the show because I feed off of a hot crowd that gives me something to care about, to be excited about. And last night I was kind of, mm towards the entire show but let's start from the very beginning as it was judgment day making their way down to the ring and in some ways they were the highlight of last night's show because we got straight up lies from Rhea Ripley Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Dominic Mysterio. They're wrapping the bandanas in the back pocket. You gotta love the Finn gang colors, purple all day. As Rhea Ripley told us that mommy knows best, poppy knows all, as Dominic Mysterio beat AJ Styles last week. Finn Balor took it a step further by saying that Dominic had one of the greatest matches in Monday Night Raw history last week. Then Damian Priest added more lies by saying that Dominic Mysterio was one of the greatest luchadors in WWE history. Then Dom told his biggest lie by noting that he's this generation's Eddie Guerrero. And the fans let him have it by booing him out of the building. And I don't blame them. That was blasphemy of the highest order. Thankfully, AJ Styles, Lou Gallows, and Carl Anderson came out to stop this. As AJ Styles compares Dominic Mysterio to James Ellsworth, they got a pop from the crowd. But eventually, Finn Balor lets AJ Styles know that this crew used to be mine. I was the founder of this club you're a part of right now. In fact, every leader since then is only copying my success and I can never be imitated or duplicated. But Judgment Day, that's the real club. That's the real crew of today. Either you step aside or you get stepped on and Carl Anderson wants to face Finn Balor one-on-one, which we get a little bit before we go to our first commercial break with Anderson rocking Finn Balor with a couple of uppercuts that sends Balor on the outside for a bit. I thought the opener was pretty good. Judgment Day gets good heat per the usual. My only drawback was the fact that Damian Priest tells the crowd to stand up and all rise for Judgment Day. I want that phrase retired because it never got over via the first generation. It's not going to get over under the Triple H administration either. But otherwise, I love the material of Judgment Day hyping up Dominic Mysterio to extremes, which are even too big for him. But that's the intention to get the maximum heat for this opening segment. We come back from break and Carl Anderson is being worked over with a few rest holds by Finn Balor. But... Carl responds with a nice spine buster. He blocks an enziguri from the top rope by Finn Balor and lands a nice middle rope neck breaker on Finn for two. Delivers a sit-out powerbomb coming back from commercial break. Then he lands a nice superplex off the top rope to Finn Balor as well. As the fans are popping for Anderson's offense until Dominic Mysterio pops in the ring apron to cause a distraction. AJ Styles pulls him down, but he gets beat down by Damian Priest. Luke Gallows tries to intervene and then Rhea Ripley shoves Luke Gallows face first into the ring post then she picks up Luke Gallows with the greatest of ease and delivers a scoop slam that pops me the announcers and the crowd Rhea Ripley is that 
woman. She is the moment. And that was really impressive stuff by the talented Miss Rhea Ripley. And despite all of the distractions going on at ringside, Anderson still has an advantage over Finn Balor. He goes for his finisher, but Dominic Mysterio gets in the ring to distract the referee long enough for Rhea Ripley to deliver a low blow to Anderson, which allows Finn Balor to pick up the very tainted win on behalf of Judgment Day. A fun match, distraction finish galore, a theme of tonight's show once again, which is not a good thing. But I will say we got some nice follow-up backstage with Gallows and Anderson talking about Rhea Ripley and Styles noting they have a Rhea problem. Gallows tries to talk to her off camera and he gets low blowed as well. So Styles says, once again, we got a Rhea problem and I got to solve it. And I have a feeling he's going to recruit Piper Nevin, also known as Dewdrop. I need it. Piper Nevin proper against Rhea Ripley would be a lot of fun heading towards the end of the year. And if you want to keep Beth Phoenix on ice until the Warrior Rumble, that makes sense as well because it's still a lot of money and Beth Phoenix versus Rhea Ripley as well at a big pay-per-view or PLE such as the Warrior Rumble heading into WrestleMania season. So let's hold that off until then. But Piper Nevin being back as a certified ass kisser against Rhea Ripley would be money to me and I would love to see it very, very soon if WWE goes in that direction. Next up is The Miz coming out and saying a whole bunch of nothing, lying about his relationship with Dexter Loomis, saying that he was trying to be a mentor to Dexter, but he was jealous of Miz's relationship with Tomasa Champ, who's now out with an injury onto further notice. And he goes into this drivel of how Dexter wanted to use his mind, his brain, his experience to get ahead in WWE. But Miz was not willing to impart his knowledge to a noted kayfabe serial killer, which leads to Johnny Gargano coming out to say, Miz, that is not the truth and you know it. And if you don't tell the full story, I will blow the whistle on your ass, which leads to our truth coming out. He is from Charlotte, North Carolina. gets a great babyface pop and he is providing great comedy by noting, here I am, Miz. I am the truth. What's up? Because our truth is the truth. And if The Miz wants to tell the truth to truth, that's how you do it. I laughed. Johnny Gagano and Truth had great interplay with each other. And The Miz still refuses to be honest about his true relationship with Dexter Loomis, which leads to our truth versus The Miz after the commercial break. And this match was not very good. And I have to say this for the record. The Miz quite possibly delivered the worst Busaku knee in the history of professional wrestling that would make Brian Danielson weep. He would cry tears of pain to see that running knee delivered by the Miz. It was so paper tissue soft and it sucked. So the Miz is going for his finisher, the skull crushing finale, until he sees a hooded figure in the crowd who he presumes to be Dexter Loomis. And the distraction leads to R Truth rolling up the Miz for the win and come to find out the hooded figure was Johnny Gargano taunting the Miz once again. Now I have very mixed feelings about Johnny wrestling going for comedy on Monday Night Raw. He's good at it. He was great with the way on NXT a couple of years ago, but it feels out of place on Monday Night Raw, especially in a feud with the Miz and Dexter Loomis. It just doesn't feel natural to me. The switch up is very random. I know it's very important to be incredibly complex as a professional wrestler to do a little bit of sports entertainment and professional wrestling on the side that will get you over with the people because personality is key in some cases Johnny has that but I don't want it wasted via this dead end feud with the Miz and Dexter Loomis save it for something else everybody can't be KO that can just make anything turn into gold 
there are exceptions to that rule. And The Miz is an exception because this feud with Dexter absolutely positively sucks. I tried to give grace, but when that cake incident happened a couple of weeks ago on Monday Night Raw, I was done. The crowd was dead from Miz's birthday party and Dexter Loomis crashing it. Then we get those Miz chair shots by The Miz to Loomis last week on the main stage. I'm over it. I only care about the secret. Get that out the way and I'm done. I'm good after that. So the sooner this feud ends and the sooner Johnny's away from this shit, the better. Next up is Mustafa Ali versus Austin Theory. This match was fine, but you know it's kind of bad when the fans are singing and chanting for Seth freaking Rollins on guest commentary in a lime green matador suit. And I love Seth, but he was very distracting during this match. And my only issue with Mustafa Ali feuding with Seth Rollins is the fact that I don't want him to be a placeholder. I don't want him to be a challenger of the month for the U.S. championship. I want a sustained push for Ali. That's why he gives these social reactions because every time you give us something, you don't go all the way. You don't sustain the push beyond a month or two, and that's why fans disconnect. Give them a reason to care because Ali can talk, he can work, and he has charisma to get himself over if given a consistent push on television week to week. So we come back from commercial break and the match picks up as Theory decides to take a selfie mid-match only for Ali to deliver a drop kick to Theory out of the ring before delivering a nice 450 splash on Theory on the outside which pops the crowd a little bit. From there he delivers a rolling net breaker followed by a tornado DDT for two. Ali goes for another DDT but he is hit with Hiroshi Goshi by Theory who follows things up with a town down but Ali blocks that into a backstabber. Goes up top for the 450 splash Rollins gets off commentary to distract Ali long enough for Theory to trip him off the ring ropes and lands A-Town down on Ali for the win a short time later as Mr. Money in the Bank picks up a rare win on Monday Night Raw after the match is over. Rollins goes after Ali but throwing him into the barricade, over the barricade and through the crowd at one point. And as Rollins makes his way up the ramp celebrating as U.S. champion, Ali is going to ambush Rollins on the main stage and slams him against the big screen. And Rollins scurries away from the scene as Ali says, I'm still your problem. Heading into a presumed U.S. championship match between now and Crown Jewel and maybe Monday Night Raw. Heading into Survivor Series in a few weeks time on USA. The match should be great, but Rollins is a weird hybrid character right now. He's an asshole, but he wants the fans to sing to him and they sing a song and he was very distracting last night when the focus should have been on Mustafa Ali if you trying to get him over don't get yourself over as a baby face when you're actually a heel it does more harm than good because you're watering down the baby face's momentum by being over as a baby face even though you're supposed to be a heel it's a dynamic that can bite you in the ass if you're not careful. And here's hoping WWE rectifies that in the weeks to come because Ali has what it takes to be a great babyface if he's not sabotaged by bad creative, of course. Next up is Omas defeating four local yokels in quick fashion as he preps for his match against Braun Strowman at Crown Jewel in a couple of weeks' time in Saudi Arabia. That should be something to see. As I keep saying, Strowman has to carry Omas to a passable match. Bobby Lashley was the closest to accomplishing that feat. Let's see if Strowman can get it done too in Saudi Arabia on November 5th, on a Saturday, on Peacock. Get ready at high noon. Just saying. Next up is Elias versus Chad Gable. And this match was solid, but once again, the crowd was kind of dry for the action. Elias looks so much better with a beard. And I keep saying, if he looks like Elias and Russell's like Ezekiel, it's a winning combination. And sure enough, 
It was Gable's great with his suplexes and technical wrestling. He actually scooped up a mule kick by Elias by locking in an ankle lock at one point, which is pretty sweet. But the highlight for me was Elias countering Gable's moonsault into a knee strike in midair, and they bumped heads at one point, but the knee strike was still beautiful in slow motion. Upon replay, he scores a near fall. Otis tries to get involved, but Elias shrugs it off and lands drift away on Gable for the win after Gable went for a suplex moments earlier. Good match, dry-ass crowd. He gets jumped by Otis and Chad Gable for a bit until Matt Riddle runs out to make the save. And it should be noted that there was a backstage segment earlier in the show in that Elias teased hitting Riddle from behind with his guitar because Riddle was working his last nerve with those damn bongos. So that's something to look back to in the very near future because Elias definitely teased hitting dude with that guitar because Elias, at the end of the day, is best suited as a heel who can get over by singing very shitty songs in key. Hmm. <laughs> Next up is Johnny Gagano versus Baron Corbin with JBL on commentary. And JBL grabs a mic and cuts a promo dissing North Carolina, calling out the Carolina Panthers for their 2-5 and five record. Disses Baker Mayfield, calls out Michael Jordan for being a part of a losing city because Charlotte sucks in terms of having sports franchises for basketball and football. And that leads to the modern day wrestling god, Baron Corbin, having his match against Johnny Wrestling. And I have to point out that JBL had the audacity to use the word respect and the Miz in the same sentence and lightning did not strike as he was having this conversation with Johnny Wrestling backstage before his match against Baron Corbin because JBL for some kind of way about Gargano disrespecting the Miz who's a legend in this business knowing full well that JBL made it his life's mission to make the Miz's life a living hell during the early days of Miz's career in WWE the man ate chicken on a fucking floor outside of the locker room because he didn't belong with the big boys and the seasoned veterans we heard the stories time and time again it's very funny to me that JBL wants to equate respect and the Miz in the same breath and for that he can fuck off and the face crack I had during that segment said it all but in any event this match between Corbin and Gargano was dry because the fans chanted you can't wrestle at Corbin at various points during this match as Corbin slams Gargano face first into the announced table as we go to commercial break we come back and Gargano fights back with a slingshot spear on Corbin for two but Corbin lands a follow-away slam as well for a near fall Gargano comes back with strikes but Corbin lands a deep six on Gargano for a near fall Gargano is going to block that rebound lariat that Corbin uses to get back in the ring by landing a super kick instead. And he gets on the announce table. He puts on JBL's cowboy hat and does a dance and jig to agitate the wrestling god, the OG, according to John Brashaw Layfield, and lands a nice tornado DDT on the floor to Corbin. As Johnny goes for one final beat, JBL trips him off the apron, and that allows Corbin to land the end of days on Johnny Wrestling for the win. The fans go mild. They don't care. Neither do I. I like Baron Corbin. I think he's not bad in the ring, but this character is so one-dimensional and JBL is so out of place on this show. It's so outdated for me. The material, the promos, I don't care for him as a person, which makes it even worse. And I just think that the best Baron Corbin is still broke-ass Corbin. And I need that back in my life as soon as possible. 
And now it is time for our main event featuring Bianca Belair, the Raw Women's Champion versus Bayley in a non-title match. It should be noted that earlier in the show, Damage Controls, Eosky, Dakota Kai, and Bayley wiped out Candice LeRae backstage and injured her shoulder in the process in storyline, of course, and she'll be fine in due time. But this does leave Bianca Belair in a tight spot of having no friends backing her up. Alexa Bliss injured, Asuka injured, Candice LeRae laid out. What's going to happen? Well, she's going to fight and give it her all. And she did so last night against Bailey. This was another good match. The crowd took a really long time to warm up, but the ladies worked hard and got them into the action by the end as Bianca Belair goes for a backflip only for Bailey to deliver a shoulder tackle and hitting her with the forearm. Bianca Belair fights back with the back break and a slingshot dive on the outside. As we go to commercial break, we come back and Bailey was back on offense and she has a vertical suplex from outside the ring. Belair sets up the KOD for Bailey, but Bailey is going to yank her arm on the top rope. Belair fights back with the vertical suplex, shoulder tackles, a drop kick, and corner punches, and a body slam, but Bailey is going to get her knees up on the moonsault. Tim by Belair. Bailey goes up top and goes for her pat and elbow drop, but Bianca Belair gets her knees up for that and lands her springboard moonsault on Bailey a short time later. Very, very close near fall. Eventually, Bailey regains control by delivering a dripping DDT on Bianca Belair by using the barricade for leverage, but in doing so, she delivers a modified arm breaker as well to weaken Bianca Belair's red into our last commercial break. We come back, and Bailey is going to be ballsy enough to go for a KOD on Bianca Belair, beat her arch nemesis with her own finisher. Bianca says, nope. And she lands a Bailey to belly on Bailey for a near fall to add insult to injury. So Bailey is going to use Bianca's braid, pull it around for a bit. And she goes up top for a middle rope Bailey to belly of her own for two. So from there, we get some distractions courtesy of Eo Sky and Dakota Kai and that enables Bailey to land a middle rope Bailey to belly to Bianca Belair for a near fall and she instructs her girls to clear the announce table to put Bianca Belair set through table Bianca Belair fights back and she delivers a power bomb to Bailey on top of the table the table does not break and she power bombs Bailey against the ring post and then she delivers a face plant to Bailey against the ring apron for good measure as the fans pop at Bianca's feet of strength. As Bianca tries to get Bailey back in the ring, Eosky and Dakota Kai attack from behind. The referee sees this and he tries to eject them from ringside. In doing so, a mysterious woman flies off the top rope and lands a crossbody on Sky and Kai on the outside. We got Bianca Belair blocking a rose plant and going for the KOD. Lands perfectly for the win, but the referee's knocked out via that crossbody by the mystery lady. And the mystery is no longer a mystery as Nikki Cross is going to send Bianca Belair into the ring post, delivers a swinging net breaker, and Bailey picks up the scraps by pinning Bianca Belair because Jessica Carr runs down to count the one, two, three. And after the match is over, Nikki Cross comes for Bailey as well, and she stands tall as Sanity Nikki Cross is back, and I love to see it. It's about damn time. It was some spark to end the show because up until then, it was very, very boring and dry as a viewer and the fans kind of popped but it was kind of muted but I like the finish Nikki Cross is an equal opportunity hater so yeah no love for damage control or Bianca Belair or Bailey for that matter and I kind of like it we have to hear our motivations in the next week or so to explain why she did what she did and why she ditched the superhero gimmick which was dead in from the moment she lost the Raw Women's Championship last summer to Charlotte Flair at SummerSlam. She slightly rebounded by teaming up with Rhea Ripley to become Women's Tag Team Champions last fall. And then the downward slope happened when she kept losing match after match after match until she snapped on Rhea Ripley. And from there, she's been teaming with Dewdrop and they teased Ascension in the past few weeks as well as Nikki took off the eye mask. She undid 
the cape. She was kind of done with the superhero stuff. And I know it was her concept originally, which I appreciated, but WWE creative let her down by not letting her tell the story in full. It just jumped ahead to her being a superhero or almost a superhero. Damn the origin story. Every superhero has an origin story. We didn't get that. And they missed a lot of beats of that storyline. You had Molly Holly and Hurricane right there to play into the superhero gimmick a bit more. And that was a mistake by WWE as well. It was a nice concept by Nikki, but was poorly executed by the WWE creative team, unfortunately. And I hope that this new reinvention of Nikki is going to lead to more opportunities because she's really good. She plays crazy like nobody's business. She got a little glam to her this time. She's naturally gorgeous, but now she's like a fashionable psycho whooping ass. And for that, I love it. And I want more for her on the show, elevating the women's division along the way, heading into war games as I send some faction action between Damage Control and Bianca Belair if her team heals up between now and then. As we got Asuka, Candice, and Alexa on the shelf, Becky could be back imminently, and we'll see how Damage Control and Nikki Cross get along after what she did to them on last night's show as well. All in all, this was a weak penultimate episode of Monday Night Raw before Crown Jewel next Saturday on Peacock. Brock Lesnar will be back for the Halloween edition of Monday Night Raw. Hopefully they juice up that show heading into next week, the last live show ahead of the pay-per-view next weekend. And that is going to lead to Survivor Series, the final pay-per-view of the year for WWE. It's going to be a very quiet time for the company heading into the holiday season. And they got to make Raw and SmackDown kind of must-see shows between now and the Royal Rumble. And Survivor Series is key. War Games, for the men and women, I expect bloodline involvement, damage control, Bianca Belair, brawling brutes, maybe a little bit of Imperium as well. We got to see how all of these factions play into these two big war game bouts in a month's time. That's WWE's bread and butter. Their real test to end the year on a high note as we abandon the Raw versus SmackDown aspect of this pay-per-view, which is sorely needed, but we need higher stakes heading into the Warrior Rumble as well to make these wins count for something for each team that enters the war game structure. And on that note, this wraps up episode number 144 of the Raw Verdict, recapping the highs and lows from WWE's flagship show, Monday Night Raw. I hope you enjoyed it as always. You can follow me on social media at Lady Wrestling X on Twitter and on Instagram at Wrestleptopia. They can find me tweeting and grabbing about these podcast shows that drop on the semi-daily recapping Monday Night Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite, Friday Night Smackdown on FS1, this week, and AEW Rampage on TNT. You know what to do, search Wrestleptopia and follow me on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, Buzzsprout, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Plus Amazon Alexa, and Spotify. I'll be back tomorrow morning with episode number 91 of the NXT Nightcap, recapping the highs and lows from WWE's developmental brand. Until then, enjoy your Tuesday. Stay safe out there and don't forget to wash those hands. See you later, boys and girls. Take care.